much deeper words than God already did. Uh, so today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be continuing with our study. Uh, but before we start, I just want to say how thankful I am that you came today, that you're here at church today, that we have this opportunity to worship our Lord together. I'm excited for today, for what today has to hold. Uh, the message is elevating Jesus as Messiah, uh, and I'm so thankful that He is the Christ, the Messiah, and that He is my Lord and, and my Savior. I'm thankful for what He has done, what He has accomplished. I'm thankful that we get to spend a few minutes together uh, looking at, at Jesus and, and who He is, and then after the service, immediately following the service, we're going to have our, our first of our summer picnics or potluck, whatever you want to call it. We're outside eating, but everybody kind of brings food, yet the church provides some hot dogs. So whatever you call that, uh, we're going to be together eating food and uh, just just getting to encourage each other, getting to know each other, just get to be in that, that fellowship uh, with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh, I encourage you to stay for that, whether you brought food or not, uh, it'll be a, a good time. Uh, so there'll be no discussion group, no Sunday school following. We'll just go right outside. Uh, as soon as the food gets there, uh, we'll, we'll start eating. So I enjoy the, the, we'll call it our summer picnic series. How about that? Um, and uh, we'll try to do that once, uh, once a month or so. So as we, in our study today, as we continue following the steps of Christ, um, it's, it's interesting how it goes. We, we see Jesus performing some more miracles today. We see the crowd responding in a certain way. We see the Pharisees responding in their, their fairly typical way. But what got us to this point, or I guess the past few weeks of our study, we've been following Christ's steps, and we saw Him teach some parables. From the parables, uh, we saw Him tell His disciples to get on the ship or a few, few ships and cross over to the other side. On the way to the other side, there was the big storm. Remember, Jesus calms the storm. They get to the other side, and then they meet this demon-possessed man, possessed by multiple demons, and he was naked, and he was crazy, and he was vicious, and he was mean, and Jesus is able to cast the demons out of him into the pigs. Remember the story? Pigs go crazy, run into the water. And then they, the people there don't like that too much, so they ask Jesus to leave. They, they push him out of where they are. But the demon-possessed man who is in his clothes and in his right mind says, Jesus, I want to stay with you. Jesus says, no, you need to stay here. You need to, you need to pass this message on. You need to speak to those around you. So Jesus crosses back over to the other side. He gets to the other side. The multitude is all around him. There's people all around him. And we have Jairus coming to him. This was last Sunday when we talked about this. Comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my, my daughter is dying. Please come to her. Please lay your hands on her so she can be healed. And Jesus starts to go with him, fighting through the crowd. On the way through the crowd, this woman touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and she's healed of her issue of blood. And she had this faith where if I can just touch him, I can be healed. And we saw Jesus accomplish healing in her. But we saw when she touched Jesus' garment, Jesus knew that power had went out from him. So he turned and he addressed the crowd, who touched me? And remember the disciples? Jesus, what are you talking about? There's lots of people touching you. And Jesus knew specifically someone touched him with healing faith that he could heal her. And he healed her. And he, he called her out there and says, your faith 
has made you whole, and I believe she was, she was healed spiritually as well as, as physical. Then Jesus goes to the house of Jairus, and his daughter has already died, the people say. Jesus says, you know, why are you mourning? There's a professional mourners there. Remember we talked about that? Weeping and wailing. They're so sad this, this girl died. Jesus says, why are you weeping? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And they, they mocked him to scorn. They made fun of Jesus. Jesus goes in the room and he, he heals this woman or this young girl and brings her back to life. Remember that story? We saw the power of Jesus on display. We saw evidences of his deity. And in our text today, we're going to move on to the, the next part. We see, we see Jesus performing more, more miracles. But in the big picture that we're going to look at today, we have people that were amazed at what Jesus could do. But it seems like that's as far as their amazement went. Like they wanted to see the show of what Jesus could do, but they didn't want to believe or commit or follow him any further than following him around to see this, this big, big show of what Jesus would do. Look at, our, look at our text today. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 27. We'll go to verse 34, so only a few verses this week. Um, verse 27, And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. <coughs> And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, Behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb man spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for this time that we can be together. I thank you for your, your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I pray that, that we will see you clearly this morning, that we'll see your workings and your, and your dealings and your, your greatness and your glory as we look into uh, what you've done and what you've accomplished. I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Please challenge us. Please correct us. Please comfort us. Please lead us and guide us. Uh, please uh, just give us a, a wonderful time of worship together with you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's look back up to verse 26. We've, we've told this story already leading up to this, but, and the fame hereof went abroad unto all that land. So Jesus had just healed the daughter of Jairus. Then the fame is spreading throughout the land. Then we get to verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, Two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. So we have the fame of Jesus spreading. We have the multitudes growing. We have, we have the people surrounding Jesus just, just growing. Huge crowds of people around Jesus. Remember they were already big before we saw, before he sailed to the other side of the sea. Now he comes back. His fame is growing. He's performing more miracles. And people are gathering around him. 
So his fame is growing. And we have in verse 27, two blind men following Jesus. And I want to give you some thoughts on on blindness and and some of the words that we we see in these verses just to to paint this picture and to kind of suck us into the story and just instead of just saying, yeah, Jesus healed some blind guys, big deal. That's a miracle. That's wonderful. I want us to get drawn into the story and consider the life change that Jesus would have brought to these blind men and to see the power of Jesus to restore sight to someone that can't see. That's not something that's easy to do. Without the authority of God, that's not something that can be done. And we have Jesus performing that. Blindness was very common in those days, um, just in the recorded miracles of Jesus. We often find him healing blind people. It's maybe one of the most common miracles that, that are recorded that we know about him. Blindness was not uncommon in those days, uh, there were lots of reasons for blindness. I mean, just think about getting sand in your eyes all the time, uh, blowing around the desert. Uh, there was war. It's hand-to-hand combat there. I mean, you get stabbed in the eye during a battle or something. You know, blindness from that. There's accidents. There's infections. I mean, you're not just running to the eye doctor if, if you, get a, you get an eye infection and get, get eye drops. So small infections could cause blindness. Uh, there was disease. There was lack of modern eye doctors. People would often become blind from infections during birth. So you would run into people all over the place that were blind from birth. So people who had maybe seen for a day or for a few hours in their life, but they were blind for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's, I know people still face blindness today, and it's, it's, difficult to think about going through life without sight. You know, you wake up in the morning, first thing you do is try to fumble around and, and find a light to turn on so you can, you can see. But we're dealing with guys here who could not see. We don't know how long these men had been blind, but we know that they were blind. I just want to say I'm so thankful for the sight that God has given me. The gift of sight is a gift from God. It's a blessing that we have every single day. And I, I am thankful that God has blessed me with sight. We know these men were blind. Try to think of the difficulties they would have in their, their day-to-day life. They, not the technology we have today. In the crosswalks, there's not the, the blinking, counting. I guess blinking wouldn't matter, but the, the counting number. Walk, walk, walk. You know, you hear that? That's for people that can't see. It says walk, walk, walk. They didn't have, I mean, just difficult because there's not the technology back then that would help them do certain things. So their lives were difficult. They would face these daily, daily struggles. The simple tasks of day-to-day life would be difficult for these men. But these men believe they have found the solution to their blindness. Could you imagine, you're blind, and you hear someone is in town that could fix that. Someone is close to you that could fix that blindness that you have. This is potentially extremely life-changing for these men. So they wanted to get close to Jesus. They had heard about what He could do. They had heard about His miracles. His fame was spreading. 
they find out where Jesus is, and they start pursuing him. Could you imagine the urgency or the intensity that they would have? I mean, imagine what you would, how you would feel if someone was close to you that could heal you. Wouldn't you be trying to find them? Certainly. Wouldn't you be running around yelling, where are you, Jesus? I can't see you, but please help me. The problem was is they couldn't see him to know where he was. They knew he was close, but they couldn't see him, so they would have to rely on others to direct them to Jesus. People had trouble getting to Jesus who could see, dodging through the crowds, dodging through all the people. Crowds around him, pressing on him, they had a difficult time. So now you add blindness to the equation, and you have these people trying, these men trying to get to Jesus. They knew that they were close, so they start yelling for Jesus. Can you picture this? Two blind men, surrounded by lots of people, know that they're close to Jesus, and they just start yelling for Jesus. I'd imagine there's other people yelling too. I'd imagine it wasn't a quiet scenario, so it's not like a quiet room. Hey, Jesus, I'm blind. Come help me. They're yelling over a crowd, trying to get the attention of Jesus. The word crying that's used helps us see their desperation. What that word crying means is to scream or to call out with great intensity. Picture that. They didn't know how close they were. They were just crying out, hoping that Jesus would hear them. I imagine there being hundreds and thousands of people around Jesus. People crying for Jesus. Just a loud, chaotic scene trying to get to Jesus. And these two men are crying out, expecting to be heard by Jesus. Them crying is important, but what they're crying out is even more important. It says they were following Jesus, they were crying, and what they were saying was, Thou Son of David, have mercy on us. The Son of David. That's such an important part in this, in this text. Because what that is, is that's a, a messianic title. They acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. The title Son of David was one of the most common Jewish titles for the promised Messiah. This title, this, this Son of David, was a royal title pointing to the fact that the true Messiah would come from the royal line of David. And these blind men who couldn't see had this understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, that He was the Son of David, and they were crying for Him. They were trying to get close to Him. This this title, Son of David, or from the line of David, you can trace the promise of God's great deliverer, the Messiah, back to the book of Genesis. The beginning of Genesis, we see it. Then you go forward a little bit, and you have the idea that the deliverer would be a man, the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. You find that in Genesis 12 with with the, the promises that were there. Then you move ahead and we get more specific. It would be through Isaac, Genesis 21-12. You move forward and his grandson Judah, Genesis 49-10. Later the prophet Nathan told David that from his line there would be a king and a kingdom that would be established forever. So we can trace this back to the beginning of Genesis. We can trace it all the way through where God had this plan that he would send this Messiah and this Messiah would come through the line of David. So we see it in in 2 Samuel, 
Then we move forward to Luke, when Gabriel gives the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary. Look at Luke chapter 1. This is exciting stuff to think about Jesus giving a promise, or God giving a promise way back Genesis. And we can look back to the New Testament, and we can still see that promise being true. Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. Actually, let's start in 31. Or 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. We see the beginning of the promise in Genesis, and we, we look forward to the, the, the promise of his birth coming. And we see Jesus being born the Son of God, the Messiah. God in the flesh. And you can see multiple references to Jesus being from the line of David, being the one and only Messiah, the Lamb of God, the chosen one to take away the sins of the world. For the blind man to declare Jesus to be the son of David was for them to proclaim him to be the Messiah, the Christ, the promised deliverer. They didn't care what anyone else thought but Jesus. And they declared Him to be the true Messiah. Because we've looked at people around Jesus that didn't believe He was the Messiah or hated Him making claims to be God. These blind guys didn't care. They believed He was the Messiah and they were yelling and screaming. They weren't walking around whispering, Have you seen the Messiah? Am I close to the Messiah? They were screaming, Jesus! Son of David, have mercy on us. They believed that He was the Messiah. They pleaded for His mercy. They understood that He could do things for them that they didn't deserve, but they desperately needed. I believe these men, recognizing who Jesus was, were trying to get to Him for physical and spiritual healing because of their cry for mercy. They didn't say, please give us our sight. They, they cried for mercy. Sure, they wanted to see, but they recognized Him as the Messiah. And I believe they, they, they recognized their, their need for Him as the Messiah. They had a desperate need, and they were looking to Jesus as the only one to fix it. And I want us to think, with all that going on, we're all desperate for the mercy of the Messiah. And I'm so thankful that He is merciful. That God is merciful. And He showed mercy and He showed grace by giving us a Messiah. By having His Son be the sacrificial Lamb. That satisfactory payment to meet His just demands. Because I'm a sinner and I need a deliverer from my sins. I, I can't earn a right standing with God by doing good things or going to church or, or 
being kind. I can't earn God's favor by doing that stuff. That's great stuff to do, to be nice to people, but it doesn't earn me a right standing before God. And God, in His mercy, understood that we can't get to Him without a, without a substitution, someone to pay for our sins. So He sent His Son, the Messiah, who was perfect and sinless, and shed His blood. He died. He was beaten. He was murdered. He was executed on a cross. And He paid our penalty for our sin. And He didn't stay dead. He rose again three days later. Giving us a way, giving us an opportunity to be at a right standing with God. Because God is merciful, but God is also just. And our sin requires consequences. I don't know whose kid that is. (laughs) Our sin requires consequences. But Jesus Christ paid the way for God to forgive us of those consequences. And he took my punishment on his shoulders. And I'm so thankful that he did that for his mercy. I'm so grateful for the true Messiah. Look at verse 28. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. So Jesus goes to a house and the blind men catch up to him. People did a good job leading them to Jesus. They find where Jesus is. They meet up with Jesus. Keep reading in the verse. And Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. The blind men eventually track Jesus down. They make it into the house where Jesus was. And I want you to think about this. Because Jesus, as all-knowing God, knew these blind men were following him. He knew these blind men were were crying out. He knew how this whole thing was going to play out before it even happened. So Jesus goes into this house, and these men come in after him. This meeting did not surprise Jesus. Nothing surprises God. Nothing surprises Jesus. We do well to remember that all the time. Because we get in difficult situations and it's like God doesn't know. We act like God doesn't know it was going to happen to us sometimes. God knows. He knows what's going to happen. He, he knew what these men were facing. He also knew their faith. And he knew the level of their faith. So him asking this question to them... Believe ye that I am able to do this? It wasn't for him. It was for them. And they were verbally going to acknowledge, Yes, Lord, we believe that you can do this. Can you picture them standing in front of Jesus, though? They're blind. They had never seen Jesus. They had no clue what he looked like. They had no clue how tall he was or what color his clothes were. They had... Nothing, no information except that he was the Messiah and that he had been performing miracles. They had not seen him do anything previous. They had just heard stories. They believed that he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. I wonder if that's where the term blind faith comes from. Blind guys 
with all kinds of faith. Something they had never seen, only they had heard about. They were standing there, and Jesus says, Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe I can have mercy on you? Do you believe I can heal you? You see their response? Because the wording is so important. They say, Yay, Lord. Yes, Lord. They acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah, and now we have them verbalizing Him as Lord. This is a title of honor, of respect, of reverence. It means master. It's a title given to God. It's a title given to the Messiah. So these blind men respond to Jesus' question by, yes, we believe, yes, we can believe that you can do what you say you can do. We believe you are who you say you are. We believe, and then they call him Lord. Such an important title. Because it's, it's giving up your authority and, and giving it to God. Or I, said, or I should say the authority we think we have and giving it to God. Recognizing him as the master and the ruler. Verse 29. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. Their faith was genuine. Jesus touches their eyes. According to your faith, you are healed. Verse 30. Jesus said it would happen. And their eyes were opened. Jesus touched their eyes. And they were healed completely immediately. They didn't have to wait for the eye drops to kick in. I mean, they didn't have nothing. Jesus touched them and said, You're healed according to your faith. And they were healed instantly. Their lives were changed. First thing they opened up their eyes, who was standing in front of them? Jesus. First, first thing they possibly ever saw in their life was the Messiah, their Lord. What a beautiful thought that is. If you read over that quickly, you can, you can miss that. Jesus had the power to give sight. Let's not forget that. Further evidence that He is the Messiah, that He is God. But Jesus told them not to tell anyone. Is that interest, did that jump out to anyone? He says... See that no man know it. Yes, I healed you. Yes, you have great faith. Yes, you've been crying that I am the Messiah asking for me to be merciful. But as you go forward, just keep quiet about it. Why would he do that? That's a great question. Um, lots of different opinions on that. Uh, we know as he goes forward, as, as, crowds, as crowds gather, as he does certain things, people want to make him the, the king for the moment so that he can deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus didn't come to temporarily deliver them from the Romans. He came to be a satisfactory payment for a sin debt to bring glory to the Father. So possibly the people, as he grew, would, would want to raise him up as king, and that wasn't God's plan at that time. Even though he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, it was not his time right then. Um, possibly Jesus didn't want crowds coming just to see the show 
which is what we, we find a lot of the crowds doing, which we're going to look at in a couple minutes here. So a few possibilities there. I'm sure there's, there's more opinions and ideas that people have. Uh, verse 31, But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. So Jesus said, keep quiet about it. What do they do? They can't stop talking about Jesus and what he did for them. It seems like that's the case even when Jesus told the people not to tell. We, we find that several times where Jesus says be quiet and the people just can't hold it in. Now this is, this is for free. This is where my mind went when I thought of this. These people had a different time being quiet or had a difficult time being quiet about Jesus and what he had done for them. Sometimes we have a difficult time opening our mouth and telling people what Jesus has done. Not part of the text, not part of the context here. Just where, where my mind went on this. Jesus says, be quiet. They pronounced him. Jesus has done so much for us. And, and at times we're, we're scared to open our mouth and tell people what Jesus has done. Uh, kind of a, I don't know, made me think a little bit there. But what we have is we have the fame of Jesus continuing to spread. Look at verse 32. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. So Jesus says, keep quiet about this. What do they do? They start telling people, and then they get a, a demon-possessed man that can't speak, and they actually bring him to Jesus. Verse 33, And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. So this man, this demon-possessed man that can't speak, is healed. The, the demon is cast out. That's power right there. Don't miss that because we know how the story goes. Jesus cast out a demon. Then this man who could not speak is able to speak. That's a big deal because look how the people respond. The people marveled. The multitudes marveled. So we know there was lots of people around Jesus and their response was to marvel. What does that mean? To be overcome with awe, to be greatly amazed and astounded. So we have these people, this huge crowd of people just astounded at what Jesus could do. So much so that they said, verse 32, it, has never, it was never so seen in Israel. They were so impressed with the power of Jesus, with what Jesus could do, with the miracles that he performed, that their response was awe and amazement, and they verbalized it's never been seen like this in Israel. Something like this has never happened. This power has never been on display in all of Israel, which seems like a natural response to such an amazing miracle. Like, wow, that's incredible. Jesus could do that. And the initial thought, well, that's great. People were amazed by Jesus. What a wonderful thing. But the problem is, for most of them, that's as much as they ever thought about Jesus. Was, wow, he can do some neat stuff. Because if you flip a few chapters ahead, you find this same crowd 
calling for Jesus to be crucified. The one that amazed them more so than anyone else in Israel ever had. We have these people who were amazed calling for him to be executed. Crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our children. Crucify him, crucify him. We have a a fickle crowd here who just wants to see the show. And no true belief in him as the true Messiah. One commentator that I read said, and I'm going to read this, Great throngs of people praised Jesus and walked many miles along hot, dusty roads to see him perform his amazing works. But they admired him only from a distance. They did not lastingly identify with him or submit to him. They were always astonished and sometimes afraid, but never committed. They were mere onlookers willing to cheer, but not willing to participate. They came to Jesus out of curiosity and to be entertained. And we find Jesus calling them out on that. You just came so I would feed you, so I would give you food. There was no true belief in him as the Lord, as as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. And Jesus did not come to entertain people. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus was more than a show. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And just a, a pause here is, is what, your, what is your view of Jesus? Because yes, we live in a world that claims that there is no God and, or they're agnostic and they don't know if there is a God. But we also live in a world of people who kind of like the idea of a, of a Jesus who loves or, or the thought that there is a Jesus or that yes, Jesus did some amazing things when he walked on the earth. But there's never that acknowledgement of him as the Lord, as the Messiah, as the only satisfactory payment to meet God's just demands. What is your view of Jesus? Because I bet there's people all over the United States today in churches that would acknowledge that there is some form of God or there was a Jesus. But they haven't believed on Him as as their Lord and as their Savior, as the true Messiah. Is Jesus your Lord? Or do you just think He did some neat things? He left some great stories for us. Verse 34, But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. So there we go again. We find the Pharisees being the Pharisees. Jesus had just performed these amazing miracles. He had been identified as the Messiah by two blind guys who had then went to proclaim who he he was and what he had done. But we have the Pharisees coming in the back here and seeing these people kind of wavering, kind of acknowledging, kind of thinking Jesus might be this. And what do the Pharisees do? They try to discredit who Jesus actually was. 
and they say everything you, everything you see him do, the power that he has, that's actually from the devil. We saw Jesus combat that with, why would the devil cast out himself? And they, were, uh, they couldn't answer that. But we still have the people bringing some, or the Pharisees bringing some doubt into the people's mind here. And we see the devil working and trying to confuse people. But the fact does not change that Jesus is the true Messiah. That he is God. That he is the Son of God. That he is the Lamb of God that came to take away the sins of the world. And as, as I was thinking about this, we see all these different responses to Jesus throughout his ministry. We'll find people where he's at who are doubting, who are questioning. We find people who are kind of there who want to see what Jesus is about. And then we have those people who will believe on him as Lord, as Savior, as God, as the Messiah. And we can look back and we'll continue to see this as we study through the steps of Jesus. But if you fast forward to today, not much has changed in the response that you'll have people who, we, we just talked about them. Some reject, some doubt, some question, some claim Him as Lord, as Savior. And I just wonder today, where are you at? Do you believe Jesus was more than just a showman? Just performing miracles? Do you believe He is God in the flesh? The Messiah? The Lamb of God? That He did die on that cross and shed His blood. And His rightful place is Lord and King of your life. The King of kings. Lord of lords. Lord of all. That's His rightful place. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for giving us a, a Redeemer. I thank you that Jesus lives today. I thank you for what he has accomplished and the salvation that you have so graciously and mercifully offered to us. I pray that you will help us to consider today who you are and, and what we believe about you. I pray that you will work in hearts and lives. I pray that you will draw people to yourself, that you will challenge and, and just work in people's lives to the point where they love you and, and declare you as their Lord and their Savior. Please be with us the rest of the day. Please encourage us. I thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's all stand together, and I'm going to ask Casey of Sean.